Amen. Lord, that's our heart that we would be a generation that does seek your face. Lord, in a time and in a world when so many are taking their eyes off of you, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be more firmly planted on you. Lord, that you would be our passion and the the desire of our lives above all else. So Lord, we ask as we go to your word, may you be our teacher tonight. May you be glorified in all that happens here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. It's good to be back on a Wednesday night. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 9, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to read Colossians chapter 4 for this Sunday. Lord willing, we will finish the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossian church this coming Sunday. Um, And also, yeah, the 4th of July, if you got here late, we will be having a a picnic. We just decided to do that today. I just think it would be a great time of fellowship, just a good time for us to get together as a family. And we want to have a lot of fun stuff for your kids to do and set some Christian music playing, barbecue some food. should be a great time. All right, to catch you up, it's been a few weeks since we were in Judges 9. I just want to catch you up. We're going to pick up in verse 22. But at this point, what has happened is we know that the judges keep coming and going. What's happened is there's this cycles that happen seven times throughout the book of Judges over a 400-year period of time. And what happens is that they're walking with the Lord. They're doing well. And then the deliverer, the judge that God is using to minister to them, dies. And almost immediately, they turn their eyes away from God. They start getting involved in the things of the world going on around them. And then before very long, before they've walked away from God. They're walking in total rebellion. And then the Lord brings somebody to, to bring judgment upon them. They then are in bondage to another nation or another land. And before you know it, after a certain amount of time, they finally realize, whoops, We got away from God somewhere. We need to get right with Him. They cry out to God. He brings another deliverer who delivers them out of bondage yet again. And the whole cycle starts over. It happens seven times in the book of Judges. And you might think, man, these people are thick. You think they would learn. But the truth is, it kind of reminds me of my life sometimes. Amen? We're walking with the Lord. We're doing really, really well. And then, you know, we get caught up in the things of the world. We take our eyes off of God for a while. And before we know it, again, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? Well, the last guy we looked at was a guy made the name of Gideon, who most of us think about in the God's Hall of Faith. His name means Mighty Warrior. But if you were here in chapters 6, 7, and 8, we know not so much. We know he kind of blew it. We know Gideon was a man who kept testing God and wanting to ask God. And we also know the way he finished was not real good. If you remember what happened in the end, and this will bring us up to this chapter, is they wanted to make him king after he delivered them from the enemy. And he said, oh, no, no, you can't make me king. I will not rule over you, nor shall my sons rule over you. And then he turned right around and acted like a king, remember? What did he do? The first thing he did is he took a big offering for himself. That's not good. And so he took a big offering for himself, about $700,000 worth of gold in today's terms. And he said, well, hey, you know, my labor's worthy of his hire. That might have been his mentality. And he took gold, but that's what you give to a king. Then after that, he also uh, continued in other ways acting like a king. He had a golden ephod made. Took a place of worship, like a high priest almost, and had it put where he lived so that people would come to where he was. Again, kind of like the worship of a king. And then lastly, one of the things he did was he named one of his sons Abimelech, which means my father is king. So that's pretty much saying you're the king, right? He also multiplied for himself wives, which is what kings did. 
And so all these things being true, we know that he said, no, I don't want to be a king, but he started living like a king. And sadly, what happened was the next generation is going to pay for it. Namely, in this young man by the name of Abimelech. If you're here in the first part of chapter 9, what happened was Abimelech, because his name was my father is the king, started thinking maybe I should be the king. He didn't say he wanted to be. I'm just going to flat out say I want to be. And matter of fact, I got competition for king because I got 70 brothers. So I know what I'll do. I'll just kill them all. So he went down to the Shechemites who were his people. His mom was a Shechemite. His dad was an Israelite, obviously Gideon. He went down to them and said, hey, we're of one people and I'm your brother. And you know what? If you guys will help me out, I want to kill those 70 guys. You don't want them ruling over you. You just want me. And so help me out. So they gave him money out of their temple to the idol that they worship, Baal. So they gave him Baal money, right? And so he took the Baal money, the evil money, and he went up and he literally had his 70 brothers executed one at a time, ritualistically, on the same stone. And at the end of that time, in killing what he thought was all of his brothers, as we know one of them escaped, motivated by his selfish ambition and desire, he kills them all and then they anoint him king. But while they're anointing him king, a young man by the name of Jotham, his young, the youngest of the 70 sons of Gideon, goes up on a mountain and he begins to shout out the promises of God or a prophecy concerning this man, their anointing king. And it's in verses 7 on down, and it's the parable of the trees. And if you'll remember, he said, hey, the vine wants nothing to do with it. The fig wants nothing to do with it. These are bearing fruit, have no desire for power or position. By the way, that's a good sign. If somebody is striving for power or position, that's not somebody that God has called. Because if God's called you, you're, stri- you're not striving for anything but for Him. And so what we see here is there's this desire that they, they were wanting position, or in his case, wanting position, and he's shouting from the top of this mountain, and he's telling them, hey, the vine doesn't want it. The fig doesn't want it. The olive tree doesn't want it. It wants to just continue to bear fruit where it is. The only thing that wants it is the bramble bush. Now, a bramble bush, better word, would be a weed. And he basically compares Abimelech to a weed. And he said this weed that offers you shade, a weed can't give you shade. It's like a tumbleweed, I think, in my mind, but I'm probably wrong. But something that's just really thin. And he promises to bring shade to the land, but he can bring them no shade. He said it's good for nothing but to build a fire. Keep that in mind. And so it's good for building a fire. It's fruitless. It's of no value. And yet he wants to be your king. So sadly, they make him king anyway. He got what his flesh desired. And then God delivers this divine warning. And then it ends up, look at verse 20. He said, verse 19 to 20. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity, this is him speaking, toward my father, Jerubbaal. Gideon's name was also Jerubbaal. And it's that name because he tore down the idols to Baal. So his name meant contender of Baal. His dad named him that after he knocked all the idols down when nobody else would. And so he said, if you've done well to him, well then you have nothing to worry about, basically. Rejoice. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem at Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. He said, look, if you guys have done wrong in the eyes of God, you know what? God's going to bring righteous judgment upon you. If you're doing right, you have nothing to worry about. If you're walking in disobedience or rebellion against God, hold on. That's a word for every one of us in the room. 
If we're walking in the center of God's will, we're walking in obedience. I'm not saying we're sinless, but when we sin, we're convicted, we get right with God, we're walking in in His will, we have nothing to worry about, amen? And again, we're going to heaven even when we blow it, but the difference is that when we walk in rebellion against God, hold on, because those who the Lord loves, He disciplines, amen? So He's telling them this very thing, He's encouraging them, exhorting them, if you will, and then in verse 21, Jotham ran away and fled. That brings us to verse 22. Now, I titled the message, Pride Goes Before Destruction. And it's, it's so true that the downfall of this man, driven by his flesh, is a picture and an exhortation for all of us. Because many are going to follow him because it looks really good. Many are going to like what he has to say. But in tonight's text, we're going to see the fulfillments of, of God's divine warning to them that if you're outside of God's will, hold on. God's righteous judgment upon both prideful individual, individuals and ungodly peoples as a group. And you know what? I heed that as a warning for our country. Entire groups of people are, are going to be judged in this text tonight. And you know what? We as a country need to get back on fire for Jesus. Amen? That's what we were founded on. I just saw, I got an email today that the, and I'll just call them by name because they did it, so they need to be called out. The Episcopal Church voted on whether or not Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And they voted no. So that makes them a cult. There it is. I'll be getting phone calls and echoes on the radio. But here's the point. If you don't make Jesus Christ God, then you're not Christian church, amen? What's the point? Like I say, put, you know, put horns on the wall, call the Elks Club and be done with it because if you're not teaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead, it's not the church. And whole lands are being judged. Why? Because they turned away from God and were going their own way. And we as a country need to get our eyes back on Jesus and we need not water it down or dial it down. We need to stoke up the fire. Amen? Amen. So pride goes before destruction. The no, point number one is we're going to see flesh-driven alliances don't last long. You know, the enemy always promises you great things. And the flesh will promise you great things. But it won't last long. Sin is pleasurable for a season. We'll see that in the text. Second, we're going to see that fleshly driven accomplishments will be challenged by others walking in their flesh. And we'll see that in a minute. I'll give you a shorter way of looking at that when I give you the... the... So God, we're going to see that, again, God is a faithful God. We're going to see that those... those Fleshly things don't last very long. So if you're taking notes, point number one is God suffers long, but He won't suffer always. Sin's pleasurable for a little while, but it's going to have consequences. Number two, there is no peace to those walking in the flesh. Because as you walk in the flesh, there's going to be those who are going to be trying to take away what you have. We're going to see that in Abimelech tonight. Number three, as I said, fleshly bonds don't last. They really don't, you guys. They don't last. They're certainly not going to outlast this lifetime. And number four, no one will escape God's divine judgment. So number one, God suffers long, but He won't suffer always. There is no peace for those walking in their flesh. Fleshly bonds don't last, and no one will escape God's divine judgment. We'll see all of that in the rest of the chapter tonight. So pride goes before destruction. Beginning in verse 22, God suffers long, but He won't suffer always. It says, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel... Three years. So Abimelech is seated on the throne. His flesh so desperately desired this position. And at this point, he probably thinks, I got it. 
This is what I wanted. I went after it. Look how sweet things are. Those people that warned me that God was going to get me, yeah, where is he? I've been on the throne three years. I'm the God around here. Everybody honors and worships me. This is where I wanted to be. I'm in good shape. He aligned himself with idol worshipers. He took and paid off worthless men. Remember, he got these hit men to go with him to kill his own brothers. He had his own brothers ritualistically killed. It was my kingdom come, my will be done. It was all about his pleasure, his fame, his fleshly desires. And you know what? When a man or woman sinks into the depths of depravity, you can tell it this way. How do you know if you're walking outside of God's will? How do you know when someone's walking in depravity like Abimelech? Three points. You have no concern for anyone but yourself. It's all about you. When you're discussing things, it's how it impacts you. Well, I don't want to do that because, you know, it's going to be inconvenient for me. And you know what? I hear that a lot. I talk to people and it's all about, well, this is going to be inconvenient for me. What's it got to do with you? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Amen? It's not about you. It's about you ministering to others. Abimelech was all about him. Hey, I've got to kill some brothers. Fine. Kill them. I've got to take some money from an idol. No big deal because I'm getting what I want. It's all about me. Number two. You focus only on the immediate gratification. The focus is only on, hey, it feels good now. Whatever happens down the road, happens down the road. I'll worry about that tomorrow. This is Abimelech. Hey, I'm going to get what I want, and if there's consequences later, I'll deal with them later. And number three, no thoughts of those potential consequences. Just none. None whatsoever. So how long does his reign last? This thing that he strived for, this thing that he wanted, he's probably still a very relatively young man. He probably thinks he's going to reign another 50 years. Guess what? Time's up, Abimelech. Been three years. And understand that sometimes we think that because we've been living a rebellious life for a while that God is approving of it because there's been no consequences. You've heard me say it many times. God's patience is not God's permission. Amen? Because he's showing you grace... Because there's been no divine discipline to this point, doesn't mean that God said it's okay. Well, we've been living together for four years and God hasn't done nothing. I've been sleeping with my girlfriend all this time. I, you know, hey, yeah, I, I, you know, I've been doing drugs, I've been drinking, I've been partying, I've been doing this. I've been, yeah, I've been taking a little money from my boss here and there. No one's caught me, not a big deal. Must be okay with God, not so much. Your sin will find you out, amen? You know what, my kids always get caught like right away. It's funny, their friends will say, I can do something a hundred times, you do it once, your dad finds out. And I'm like, you know what, My God just loves you guys so much, he just doesn't want to let you toil in that for any time whatsoever. He's a great God, amen? And I pray, catch him the first time. So, God answers my prayers. And the point is that, again, we need not mistake God's patience for God's permission. Here's a bimble, like it's three years. Life is good, no doubt thought that I've got what I wanted, it's all been worth it, and we need to make sure we do not fall into that same trap. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to start viewing things from a temporal perspective rather than a spiritual one. The enemy loves you to feed your flesh, you guys. He loves it. Not because he wants to give you pleasure, but because he wants to destroy you. When you feed your flesh, it destroys you. That's a fact. God suffers long, but don't confuse it with God's permission. Now, may seem like you're getting away with it, but in the end, we'll face the Lord. So it's been three years. Here comes judgment. 
Now look at verse 23. God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. God sent a spirit of ill will. People struggle with that when they see that in the Bible. God sent an, uh, an evil spirit? God, wait a minute, God sent an evil spirit. Understand this, is God in control of everything? What's the answer? Absolutely. So that means that anytime the devil does anything, he can only do it if God allows it. Now I'll give you a headache. It might make you mad. Wait a minute. So God allowed that? Yes. He had to or it wouldn't have happened. Do you understand that? Did God allow Satan to tempt Eve? What's the answer? Yes. Or she would not have been tempted. Why does God allow these things that we might grow? That we might be ministered to, that we might be strengthened, but also, as we've seen throughout the Old Testament, he'll bring a foreign king in to bring righteous judgment. He'll use an ungodly king to bring righteous judgment. Wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. Well, that's how God does it. He's God, he can do what he wants. Amen? And so he does it sometimes that way, and we need to understand that God is in control. And so it's only God's restraining hand that keeps Satan. I believe if Satan could have free reign, you'd all be dead in about five minutes. And he'd torture you until you died. That's Satan, amen? It kills me when I see these kids walking around with like Satan shirts on. Do you have any idea who that shirt is about? Do you have any idea what he wants to do with you? Guys singing hell's bells, Satan going to get all this stuff, right? Not so much. He hates you. And you know what? I hate him. I got no problem saying that. Hate him. Now, I don't have to address him. That's God's job. Amen? God will take care of him. And he's nothing compared to God. He's toast compared to God. Amen? He's nothing. But here's the point. So he allows this evil spirit to come. Now, this just goes to show you how Satan works. Because he, no doubt, was part of them getting together to begin with. Right? He runs down to Shechem to get some guys to help him out. He gets some idol worshiping money, some bail money, right? He gets some hit men. He goes up and kills his brothers, his godly brothers, wipes them all out. You think Satan wasn't loving that? Satan had to be a part of that. Now Satan gets to be a part to take those guys you put together and tear them apart and have them hate each other. That's Satan. Amen? The Lord let him have it. Okay, go ahead. I warned those guys. I gave him three years to repent. They didn't do it. Okay. Go ahead. Abimelech did not repent. Most often consequence of sin and rebellion is we remove ourselves out of God's protection. Now, does, does God still protect you and love you yet? Are you always going to be his child? Absolutely. But if you go out and sin, it will have consequences. Amen? And especially if you just flat out rebel. If you just say, I don't care. I'm, I'm just doing it. I, I know it's wrong. I know the Bible says it's wrong. I can't tell how many Christians have told me that. Look me right in the face and say, I know it's wrong. I know the Bible says it's wrong, and I'm doing it anyway. Whoa. <laughs> Let me leave the room before you start. You know what I mean? The lightning hits. I want to be a safe distance away. But you know what? People will do that. Just look at you and go, yeah, I don't care. I'm doing it because I want to. I know I'm not supposed to divorce him, but I, he's a jerk, and I'm doing it. I've had people tell me that three weeks ago. And I'm like, she said, well, another pastor told me. I said, I don't care if every pastor in the world told you. What does the Bible say? The Word of God is the authority, you guys. Not what we think or what we feel. Amen? It's the Word of God. And when we step out and say, God, I don't care what you think. I'm going to go do it anyway. Hang on. Because He loves you enough that if you're running around blindfolded on the freeway, He will jerk your arm out of the socket to get you off the freeway. Amen? He will do whatever it takes 
Because he loves you. Now in Abimelech's case, he, he's in total rebellion against God. He doesn't care what God thinks. He thinks he's God. And so now he's going to face the consequences of trying to be God. And guess what happens? The Shechemites, who had given him money to help start his ministry, right? The guys who gave him the bail money, now are going to come back and bite him. You know what happens? When you align yourself with the ungodly, don't be surprised when they act like they're ungodly. These guys didn't know God. They're acting like it, duh. So here's what happens. The Shechemites are going to come right out against them. The Lord brought this evil spirit between them. And know that that very thing that he thought was his ally came back to bite him. I find this so applicable. That mistress that you think is there for you will come back to harm you. That drug that you think gives you the peace will come back to destroy you. The gossip, the shopping, the whatever your stronghold of life is. You know, the shopping that brings you such great joy is wonderful till the credit card bill comes, right? The point is that there's always something that we think it's bringing us peace and it's only bringing about destruction. That thing that we hold on to. Apart from repentance and due time, those things that we seek self-gratification from, from are going to bring long-term harm. And that's exactly what happened. He went to Shechem, got some help, got the money he needed, hired the guys, killed his brothers, and now they're coming after him. Look at verse 24. That the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in the killing of his brothers. Sin has consequences. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Here's a very clear picture that this spirit of ill will was sent by God to bring about divine judgment on both the Shechemites and Abimelech. God brought it to bring about divine judgment, to bring righteous judgment for their godless crimes. Again, God was patient, but God's patience is not God's permission. Once allies, they're now, maybe they're jealous of each other. Maybe the Shechemites don't like the fact that they voted him into office and he's not keeping his campaign promises, right? You know, if, I'm one of your brothers, man. You let me be king, I'll be hooking you guys up. And the spirit of ill will comes in and they're envious. He didn't even live there. He lived in another city. He's not even living in our town. He's not really doing what he said he would do. Man, I hate that guy. You know, let's go, let's go after him. And God brought a spirit of ill will. One set of fleshly desires, pride for lust and power, gave way to another, jealousy, anger, and envy. Verse 25. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. You know what these guys did? Maybe they thought they weren't getting enough money kicked down to them. After all, we helped you get started. We gave you the coins you needed. So now what they're doing is the people that would travel on their way to where Abimelech was to pay taxes, they would just grab them and take their money. So they're basically stealing from Abimelech. They're saying, you won't give it to us, we'll just take it. We don't care what you are, you're not our king. We're just going to take the money. And Abimelech's probably not going to like this very much. He's probably not going to be too happy about this. So these guys are setting out an ambush. They're grabbing the people that come by and robbing them. Much like Satan in our flesh. It promises to give, you, give to you, but in the end, all it does is take from you. 
These guys were supposed to be on his side, and all they were doing was taking from Abimelech. And so too the enemy promises to give to you. Promises, oh, if you do this, it'll be wonderful. No, it won't. It'll harm you. And that's exactly what's happening here. The men of Shechem were behind him, and now they're only after their own self-interest. Now robbing the one they once hailed as king. They anointed him king, and now, three years later, they're tired of him. And again, we shouldn't be surprised because that's the way the world is. So pride goes before destruction. Point number one, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Second of all, there's no peace for those walking in the flesh. Look what it says. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, with his brothers, went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. Boy, these guys switch horses like nobody's business. They're walking there with Shechem, and all of a sudden another guy comes along. Okay, cool, let's go with him. I think we're down with him. You know, some people are that way with the God they serve. We had a guy early on at the vet's hall, and I love this brother, and I continue to pray for him. I'm going to keep praying for him. But he came and told me that in the last six years, he'd been a Buddhist, he'd been a Hindu, he'd been a Jehovah's Witness, he'd been a Mormon, and he'd been in the New Age movement. And I'm like, and how have those things been working out for you so far? He's like, well, not too good. I said, that's because they're all false gods. They need to know the true and living God. And we hung out together, and he gave his life to the Lord, and you know what happened? A couple years later, Stopped seeing him less and less and less. And before I knew it, I heard he was back into some Eastern new thing. And it's like he's chasing every God out there to find the one that fits him best. And this is what's happening. They had a, a king to serve over them, that they were the ones that picked him. And now instead, they're like, you know what? He's not fulfilling our needs, so let's just move on to another one. That would have been fine if they turned to the true and living God. That would have been the right thing to do. But instead, they go after another guy. And as we're going to see, his name means loathing, contempt, and abomination. So who do you want to have? Been? I choose abomination for our next uh, king. I vote for him. And that's who they voted for. Contempt, loathing, and abomination. And his dad's name meant slave. And it's a picture of what this guy was going to do to them if they let him be in charge. Now this guy is one who no doubt saw division and wanted to take advantage of it. He saw a division. Oh, Shechem. They're kind of, oh, here they're robbing. Weren't they the guys behind him? Ooh, here's an opportunity. Somebody can jump in right here. And you know what? The Shechemites got him to be king. They can probably support me to be king. And I'm related to them just like he was. You know what? This could be a really good thing. He had an ancestral background similar to the Shechemites. He was seeking their help to seize the kingdom. That's exactly what Abimelech did. You know what? When you go out and accomplish things in a fleshly way. Don't be surprised when someone tries to take it from you in the very same fleshly way. That's what's happening here. He was willing to do whatever it takes to be king. Guess what? There's someone else willing to do whatever it takes to be king too. You killed your brothers, he's wanting to kill you. you no, know, kings always had to have someone tasting their food. Why is that? Because everybody wanted to kill you. I don't want that job. You want that job? I want the job where everyone wants to kill me. Where all my food has to be tasted. I'll know how, how unpopular I am by how many of my food tasters die in a week. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And so the point is that that's what happens when we're walking in the flesh. There's always going to be somebody else that's want to take it away from us in the same way that we got it. The king who sees their kingdoms through fleshly efforts must be always looking over their shoulders for someone else who wants to do the same thing. There is no peace for those who are walking in their 
flesh. You know why? Because the only way you can have peace is if you're walking with the Prince of Peace. Amen? That's the only way. In any other way, you won't have peace. So the Shechemites, driven by their flesh, lacking discernment, were easily swayed to follow the next new guy that came down the pike. Why do we spend so much time going through every verse in the Bible? Why do I take the time to exhort you about things that then people get mad at me about, which is almost every week? You know why? Because I'm exhorting you because I know somebody's going to come along and teach you the lie, and I want you to know the truth. And all of it. Amen? All of it. And so we're going to teach it and do it in love, but do it. And they're, you know what? They were moved by the words of men because they were ignorant to the word of God. And the Shechemites said, oh, let's follow this guy. So now look, this guy's real popular because this look how he starts off his, his reign with his run with the Shechemites. So they went into the fields and gathered grapes. They're not making a fruit salad, all right? From their vineyards and trod them and made merry. Now, what does that mean? They partied. Yeah, make me king, guys. Hey, man, I'll, it'll be sweet if I'm the king. And let's go out and trot some grapes, and it's, far, it's harvest time. And let's bring those grapes in, and let's just get lit together. And the Shechemites are like, this guy's cool, man. He could totally be in charge. I like this guy. They celebrate at this time of this pagan religious festival, and they bring the first fruits. Look what it says the rest of that verse. And they went into the house of their god, that's Baal, and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. So they're getting lit and they're cursing the king. They're drinking and cursing the king. Now, not that Abimelech hasn't done some things to be cursed, but that's God's job to do that, not ours. The Bible says in Romans 13, we're to respect the authorities that God has placed over us. Amen? We don't like that, do we? Santa Cruz doesn't like that at all. This is the land of the protests, isn't it? We protest everything. One of my favorite bumper stickers I saw recently says, Nuke Santa Cruz. I thought, that is pretty good. They're like anti the protests of all the other protests. Everybody's protesting everything, right? I saw one years ago that said, nuke the gay unborn whales. I thought, well, there you go. But you know, the point is, the point is that we protest and we want to fight out against it. Well, you know what? Why don't we just start serving God and being sold out for him and not protesting all this other world? You know what? You know, let the president be the president and pray for him. Amen. Whether it's, whether it was Clinton or Bush, pray for him. Amen. Pray for him. And just serve God and be sold out for Him. And see what God will do. Let's set our mind on stuff that's eternal. Instead of fighting over stuff that's temporary anyway. Amen? So this drunken party turns into, uh, again, drunken confidence. It's amazing how brave people get when they're drunk. People get really bold. I didn't go to a lot of them. I played football in college. And they would always try to get me to go to the football parties after. And I would almost never go. And once in a while they'd get me to go, oh, come on, man. We want a big game. Just come. And I want, I, you know, they didn't have video cameras like they do back then. I, I know, that's amazing. But they didn't have video cameras, and I wish they did, because these guys look like idiots. And I used to tell them, I'm like, dude, if you had any idea what you look like when you've been drinking alcohol, you would stop. Because you look stupid. And you say stupid things. And so, guess what? He's going to get all lit up, and Gail's going to start getting really brave. Because... He's had some alcohol to drink. When you're drunk, you tend to write checks you can't cash. That's what we used to say when I was in college. You make claims you can't back up. You say you're going to do something and you get sober and there's no way you're going to be able to do that. There's no way. You're in trouble. Never should have said it. Now, 
he's going to start attacking. Look what it says. He cursed Abimelech. Look at the next verse. Look what he says. Nagal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? Who's Shechem? That we should serve him. Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? And is not Zabul his, his officer? Serve the men of Hamar and the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Who's the king anyway? Who cares who that guy is? Who are the, who's Shechem? That was a previous prince. Who's, who's Jerubbaal? Jerubbaal, isn't he the son of a, a, an Israelite? A man who tore down the very idol whose temple we're sitting in right now getting lit? Who does that guy think he is anyway? And he just starts mouthing off, and he just is going to get worse. Because that's what happens when you spend too much time drinking alcohol. Alcohol makes you stupid, if you didn't know that. It's poison. Did you know that? Okay, there it is. But I have a glass of wine with dinner, Pastor Dave. You pray about that, and I'll let the Lord tell you what you should do with that. But you know what? You can't get drunk if you don't drink one glass. Is that true? Amen? It's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to give you any... I don't drink any alcohol, but that's between you and the Lord. Verse 29. So what happens here is, he's getting prideful, he's getting arrogant, he's drunk, he's got some alcohol in him, and now he's going to just start spewing some stuff, and pride builds itself up by tearing others down, doesn't it? That's the one way to make yourself look really good, make everybody else look dumb. Right? And so he's tearing, tear, attack, tear, attack. Now, look at verse, he thought he was bold before, verse 29. If only this people were under my authority. Now, now we know his real motivation, right? Then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come on out. Well, Abimelech is a couple hundred miles away. So he's talking to who? The people that are there. It's amazing. How, you know, Mike Tyson, come on, right now, I'll fight you, right? He's not here. It's real easy for me to be very brave when he's not in the building, amen? And he's talking about Abimelech. Come on out, Abimelech. I'll, he's been drinking some alcohol. Come on out here. I'll fight you right now. Just bring your army and come on down here, him and his brothers. We're going to fight you guys. Come on down. He's real brave and real bold. He's seeking not to serve, but to be served. What does he say? I want authority. Isn't that what he says? If I was an authority, I'd get rid of your problems for you. That Abimelech guy, I'd take care of him. Drunken confidence at its highest. He's boldly challenging Abimelech, who's not anywhere near him. He starts making foolish and outrageous statements. And I don't know exactly how far away. He might have been 10 miles away, but let's just put it this way. He wasn't anywhere near him where he could hear him. And he's making really bold statements. You know, when we are drunk with spirits, there's confusion and foolishness. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no confusion and there's wisdom. Amen? Amen? That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing alcohol is called spirits? We need the Holy Spirit, not spirits. Amen? Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So pride goes before destruction. No peace for those walking in the flesh. You constantly have to look over your shoulder. Walk in the Spirit. The Lord will be your protection. You don't have to worry about anything. Amen? I'm not afraid. I'm just not afraid of anything. You know why? Not because I'm some big guy or anything. I just serve a big God. And the worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that can happen to me. Amen? can't threaten me with heaven, so bring it on. It's okay. God's in control, and we don't have to stress out about it. Well, notice that these fleshly bonds don't last. Look at verse 30. 
When Zabel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are fortifying the city against you. Zebal is the governor, if you will, of Shechem, appointed by Abimelech, and his name was listed in the list. Remember, he said, Who's, Who is this guy? Remember, he said it back up in the early verse, Who's Zebal? I don't know, who's he? And so his anger is aroused, and he tells, Your sin will surely find you out. Amen? Somebody's always there to tell. That's a good thing. I like having four kids because one of them's ready to tell. That's good. Somebody tells on somebody, that's a good thing. Because they love them. So this ally of Abimelech wastes no time getting word to him, either fortifying the city, both building up the walls, but really more importantly than that, building up the people against you. So Abimelech's going to get word of what's going on. And when he finds out, how does he respond? And then, I love Zebo because he not only warns Bimelech, but then he gives him an idea of how he could respond. Look what he says. Now therefore, get up by night, you and your people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as you find opportunity. So he tells them, look, Here's what they're doing. Why don't you come on out here, bring your army. So it couldn't have been a couple hundred miles away. It's probably some distance, though. They traveled all night. They get there, and they're waiting. And he says, just wait in the morning, and when it's time, you can jump on them when they come out. Shechem is a city that should have been mostly on his side. He had family there. They had financed his attack on his brothers. They've turned their back on him, and now he's going to face them and have to fight them. Again, those things that feed us in the beginning, fleshly in the end, will bring an attack upon us. Verse 34. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. Where did he learn this thing about companies? From his dad. Gideon is the one who raised up companies because God had told him to. So Abimelech's outside laying in wait. He's got four companies. And who's inside? Zebul. He's inside, waiting. When Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood at the entrance of the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You see shadows of the mountains as as if they were men. Dude, you're drunk. There's nothing coming. you got a hangover. Go back to sleep. I mean, Zebul's on the inside working for Abimelech. These guys are working together. And Gaal's kind of, well, I think there's people coming. It's interesting, the two mountains there would be Ebal and Gerizim, which means blessing and cursing. Remember those mountains? So they're coming down from those mountains and they're getting closer. Verse 37. So Gael spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. This is where they went out and they you know, did soothsaying and tried to find answers from Baal, their god. And all of a sudden, there's an army coming against them from that very spot. They're no longer in the mountains. Now, here it comes. I kind of like this. This is my flesh, probably. But I kind of like this. Because look what happens. Then Bebal said to him, where is your mouth now? Man, I like that. I underlined that in my Bible. Where is your mouth now? Okay, big mouth. 
Okay, Mr. Talking Trash. Okay, Mr. Okay, Abimelech, bring all your armies and come on out here. And Zebal turns him and says, where's your mouth now? You're pretty brave back, back in the day when he wasn't anywhere near us and you were drinking alcohol in the temple, right? But now he's coming. Now how you feeling, right? Where's your mouth? You know what he's doing? He's goading him into going out and fighting him. He's playing on the man's pride. And so what happens is, where's your mouth now with which you said, who was Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. Now, he's got a couple choices. He can run away or fight. Or surrender, I guess. But I don't think that would work out too well for him. So he's got to run away or fight. Well, he's been talking so much trash, guess what? He's got to go fight. And you know what? Not going to turn out too well for him. He wrote a check that he couldn't back up, that he couldn't cash. He put his mouth out there and spoke things that he couldn't back up. This is why we need to never boast in ourselves, but only boast in the Lord. Because he will always back it up. Amen? We should never boast in ourselves what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. No, what the Lord will do. Praise, glorify, and honor his name. Well, Gaal took the bait. Gaal went out, leading the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. So he goes out, and the men of Shechem go with him. How do you think this is going to work out for these guys? So they go out. Remember Shechem, who brought the division between them? God sent a evil spirit because they had denied God. They had killed his children. And now he's bringing righteous judgment by pitting them against each other. And there was going to be heavy-duty destruction coming. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. And these guys are walking in the flesh and it's all about it. And you know what? You get, when you get in your flesh, you don't want to ever back down, do you? Who, who do you think you're talking to? I mean, can't you just see Gail? Well, where's your mouth now? Oh, yeah? You know, I, what are you going to fight him? I thought you were going to fight him. Okay, then I will, right? And out they go. Well, look at verse 40. And Abimelech chased him. Now, you can't be chased unless you're running away. So this bravery didn't last real long, did it? So Gaal goes down and it says, And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. So Gaal went out with great boldness, drunken boldness. Now he's getting whipped and wounded. When we get in our flesh, guys, we will do things and say things that are so outside of God's will. And it's so important that we be humble and broken before Him at all times. The Bible says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse 41, Then Abimelech dwelt at Aramah, and Zabel drove out Gaal and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. They ran back into the city. Many of them got wounded on the way. When they got back, Zebal sent them packing back out of the city. This guy's not doing so well. He, at first he was talking about fighting the king. Now he can't even fight the governor. The governor sent him packing back out of the city. Now look what happens. This, this man who once was filled with pride is defeated. He's wounded. He's defenseless. And guess what's coming? Look at verse 42. And it came about the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. See, he's going to be ambushed from both sides because pride goes before destruction. And God 
suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Won't suffer always. There's no peace for those walking in the flesh. These fleshly bonds between Shechem and and Abimelech didn't last very long. Now they're fighting with each other. And lastly, we're going to see no one escapes God's divine judgment. And we're going to see that it's not only Gaal and the Shechemites, but Abimelech as well in these last few verses. Look what it says. So he took his people, divided them into three companies. This is Abimelech. And he lay in wait in the field, and he looked. And there were the people coming out of the city. Why? Because Zabel chased them out. So they're running out of the city. And it says there, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the city, of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. How to work out for the Shechemites? Not so good. Why did this happen? Because they had aligned themselves with Abimelech against God. Then God brought an evil spirit to bring them against each other. And remember back in verse 20, he said, if you'll honor God, you have nothing to fear. But if not, God is going to bring divine judgment. Let there be fire upon you. Well, there's going to be just that. There's no escape from God's divine judgment. And Abimelech, following his father's pattern, sent two companies from each side. He brought off the city gates so they couldn't come back in. And they were all wiped out completely in the field. Verse 45. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. How's it working out for Shechem? He totals the city and runs salt over it. Why? Because in those days, it says in Jeremiah, put salt on Moab, for she will be laid waste, her towns will become desolate, and no one will live in them. Once somebody laid salt, it was a a sign that this place was to remain desolate forever. Wiped out completely. How did it happen? Happen? Shechem had aligned himself with this guy. Isn't it amazing that the guy that destroys the city is the very guy they aligned with against God? So you align yourself with your mistress and she ends up destroying your family. Or you do, and she's a part of it. Amen? You align yourself with a drug and now you, your body is destroyed because of it. You align yourself with something that brings destruction upon you. They aligned themselves with Abimelech, and Abimelech was the very guy who came in and wiped their city to the ground. Guys, we need to make sure that we're not aligning with the world, but we're aligning only with the Lord. Amen? He wants to encourage you and strengthen you, not destroy you. Verse 46, Now when all the men of the tower of, the tower of Shechem had heard that they entered the stronghold of the temple of God Berith. And it was told to Bimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. He said, sweet. So the few guys that didn't die in the city are all gathered together in one place. They're hanging out in the temple of Baal. Baal Barath. Barath means covenant. God of the covenant. Baal, God of promise. Not so much. They tried to find refuge and safety in this temple of this, quote, God of promise. Now look what happens. So they're hiding out. In, the, in, in a promise with a dead idol and righteous judgment is going to come because we cannot escape the divine judgment of God. And it was told Abimelech, verse 47, that all the men of the tower in Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zelmon, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a, how do you say that word? A bow? Bow? English. Cut down a bough from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the people who were with him, What have you seen me do? Make haste and do it as well. So the people likewise cut down 
his own bow and followed Abimelech and put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on what? Fire. Back in verse 20, what did it say? If you do not, honor the Lord. But if, if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem. Is this prophetic or what? This is exactly what God said would happen through Jotham if they did not, if they were not honoring the Lord and they were not honoring the Lord. Guys, in the end, righteous judgment will come. And Shechem's participation in the execution of the sons of Gideon was now coming to bring back consequences on them. And Abimelech lights this fire. Look what it says. On, set the stronghold on fire above them so that all the people the tower of Shechem died about a thousand men and women so not only is the city laid waste but the ones that were hiding out how's it working out resting in Baal how'd that work out for them they were resting in the temple of Baal and it turned into a fiery furnace do we see any symbolism here if you rest in any false god and you don't repent and get right with the true and living God, it's going to turn into a fiery furnace. That's not a... Oh, that, I, well, I didn't want to hear that. But it's true, amen? All other gods are false gods. And they're all trying to destroy you, and they're enemies of the true and living God. They're not another path or another way. They're a false god. And so Abimelech set fire to this temple, and all the people died. Then Abimelech went to Thebes. Now, Abimelech's still alive. That doesn't seem fair, does it? How come he's still alive? Doesn't verse 20 say he's going to die too? Let's read the rest of the chapter. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people in the city, fled there and shut themselves in, and they went up to the top of the tower. Now at this point, Abimelech probably thinks, I can do towers. I just burn a temple down. They don't know who they're messing with. I'm the burn the tower down guy. I can do this. I know what to do. Verse 52. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. I've done this before. He's already done it. He thinks, you know what's interesting? What was he called by Jotham? A what? A bramble bush. Good for nothing but what? Setting fires. And that's exactly what this guy's doing. But guess what? Thebes means brightness. And it's about to shine a light on Abimelech and where he really stood with God. And he doesn't see it coming. He thinks, I've been a king three years, I'll probably be king another 50 years. I'm right doing what I'm supposed to do, and nobody can stop me. Look what happens. Verse 53. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. He's standing there setting a fire. Can you imagine? Millstone drops. Now, these millstones probably weighed seven pounds. You drop seven pounds, like a bowling ball, right? A light bowling ball. Like a coconut, right? Just cracked them open. Isn't it amazing how many guys are getting hit in the head by women in, this, in the last couple of books? Remember the guy that got the, the all through the head, right? Here we go again. He gets hit in the noggin. He thinks he's the king. I got it all figured out. Your sin will surely find you out. You cannot escape the divine judgment of God. Amen? And a woman drops it on his head. In his pride and arrogance, he thought his reign had just begun. And God said, no, you're done. You're done. Your time's up. Verse 54. And this shows that the guy is so prideful. Because look what he says. This cracks me up. He's not thinking about the fact, you're about to meet God any minute. Right? 
And look what he says. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. (laughs) So all he's worried about still is his reputation. He's not thinking about God at all. He's only worried about what men are going to say about how he died. Dude, when you're dead, you're going to be standing before God. And I think the only thing you should be thinking about right now is, I'm going to be standing for God. And I better get things right. I've been calling for the priest, the high priest of the day, not my armor bearer. Amen? Everybody said, hold people off and let the high... I need to get right with God. Amen? But instead, he wants to make sure he looks good. And you know what's interesting? He didn't want anybody to know that a woman killed him. But everybody in this room knows that a woman killed him. And everybody who's ever read Joshua 9 knows that a woman killed him. And we are sitting here 3,000 years later knowing a woman killed you, dude. Didn't work out for you. So this young man thrust him through and he died. Pride goes before destruction. You cannot escape the divine judgment of God. Then it says, And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. God makes it very clear here, this is divine judgment. This was not a bad, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, this was God bringing about divine judgment upon a man who was in rebellion against him. Sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I drank too much, and I, I told him my car, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, your sin had consequences, amen? Uh, yeah, I went out with this other woman, and I got a sexually transmitted. It was just the wrong place. No, God's divine judgment, amen? Because those who the Lord loves, He disciplines, and those who are walking in continual rebellion, judgment will come. Last verse. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God turned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerub, Baal. God is a God of grace and mercy, and He's a God who suffers long, but He will not suffer always. Amen? And it's so important that we not take God and His Word lightly. So pride goes before destruction. God suffers long, but He won't suffer always. There's no peace for those walking in their flesh. If you're trying to have peace in your flesh, you need to just repent and get walking in the Spirit, and you'll have peace. Amen? Thirdly, fleshly bonds don't last. Those people that you think are your friends bound to you, they will turn on you in a minute and they, may, they will turn around and bring destruction upon you and no one will escape God's divine judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, for your infinite mercy. You are a great and an awesome God. Lord, I thank you for the divine warnings you give us in Scripture. Lord, no doubt Abimelech could have repented and gotten right with you, but he chose not to. Lord, I thank you that most of us in this room know you. And Lord, because we know you, we know that you love us enough to discipline us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you convict us to draw us back into a right fellowship with you. May we not be like Abimelech walking so far away from you, Lord. And Father, I do pray for anybody here who doesn't know you. May their hearts be softened. That you are a God of love and grace and mercy. But Lord, it's your children that will enter into, into heaven, not those who reject you. And so, Father, I pray if anybody here doesn't know you, open their hearts to who you are. Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close a couple worship songs.